Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Loblassengame, and I am your host. I am here today with Christiana Kimmick. Yay! Well, I don't know what that was. <laughs> that was that was an outburst. And uh, I want to thank you, Christiana, for doing the hooks so that I could have Thanksgiving week off. It was lovely. Thank you. Yes, and, it was so much fun. I hope people didn't stop listening because they heard my voice. <laughs> I don't think they did. I think you did a beautiful job. Oh, look, I have a friend. A friend. Oh, hello, friend. Okay, well, I don't know how to do that, baby, and I'm on a call right now. I'll go get it. Okay, we're not. We took away screens, and so they're like finding old screens and trying to make them work. Oh. Oh, he he wants to charge the old screens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we're on a screen guys. detox. A screen detox. How's that going? Oh, day one. <laughs> <laughs> it lasted thirty minutes. Uh huh. <laughs> exactly. They're still looking. Well, I, so far it's fine because those things don't work. So, anyway, I was gonna say thank you, Christiana. Thank you for doing that, and uh, had a lovely. Thanksgiving, socially distanced, safe week. I am excited to be here talking about episodes 82 and 83, and uh, which was, they were Christina Kimbrough and Brendan McDonough. And this is, uh, oh, and we have an announcement. Have an announcement. We have an announcement. We have an announcement. Did we say it? Yeah. Oh, I'm like nervous. Do it, do it. <laughs> um, okay, so you've heard it here first, all of our listeners. I am pregnant with my first little kid. <laughs> I've got a, a little girl in my belly. Congratulations, Jesus Christ, superstar. <laughs> <laughs> You guys, we were singing that the songs from that musical before we pressed record. Shout out to Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, The best, literally the best composer ever. Yes, you're having a little girl and I am very jealous and uh, happy (laughs) for you and Raj. That is very exciting. When is is the Tiny Dancer due? Oh, the Tiny Dancer. I love that you called her that. Uh, She is due May 15th. Hmm. 2021. So it feels like it's so far away, but I know it's just going to go so quickly. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Yep. It is super crazy. Well, we all of the Courage to Change podcast crew are very, very excited and very excited for you. So that we wanted to make that announcement. Yay! And these episodes were funtivities. They, they were funtivities. They were amazing. Who are we talking about first? Uh, let's talk about Brendan first since he's episode 82. So he came he came first. Let's talk about him first. Okay. Chronological. Oh my goodness. Holy. By the way, the fact that you got to interview Brendan McDonough, like he reached out to us and we were like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Are you kidding me right now? Like, I, I, I mean, and so down to earth. I mean, so down to earth. And something I said, I think I said this in the opener for his episode, which is that, you know, with people who I've interviewed who tell their story all the time, 
they tend to not connect. And, and I'm the same way. So I totally get it. They tend to not connect to it as much as opposed to people who've only told their story once or twice. Every time, you know, when those people tell it, they're really connected to the emotions around things. But when you get used to telling it, you know, you're kind of disconnected from the story. And Brennan was... So that's what I was expecting since there's a movie made about his life, Only the Brave. And he would have spent all that time helping them with the movie and telling his story and going across the country and speaking, blah, blah, blah. So I definitely did not expect him to be as connected, emotionally connected to his story as he was. It was phenomenal. I was so impressed by his ability to connect even after however many times he's told that story. Yeah, just really, really impressed. One of the things that stuck out for me, and I definitely want to hear what you have to say about this too, but this is just fresh in my mind was he was making help helping you know the creative process of making that movie only the brave as he i think he was newly sober at least for part of it he was newly sober and so josh brolin one of who played one of the main characters i think he played his fire chief he was like took him under his wing because knew he was brand new into recovery and was just phenomenal with him because, you know, just everyone making this movie, there's a big firefighter culture, right, of kind of going out and drinking. And and he shared that Josh and there was there was another person who was on set who was pretty well known and sober and just took him under his wing and just made the experience so much, I guess, I don't want to say easier for him, but it he it made it more I'm sure it palatable. Made it yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it made it easier than it would have been. Not easy, but it's always easier when you have support or someone that understands. And, you know, what an just an all around incredible experience. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's pretty unimaginable what he went through. I mean, it's just pretty truly one of those things where you just, you know, I, I, pride myself on being able to put myself in a lot of other people's shoes just the not not that I've been through those things but just the ability to sort through what I think I would be feeling if I were them and what I thought when he was talking was like when I was trying to parse through like putting myself in his shoes what would I be thinking when he gets the call over the radio that all all uh 19 firefighters have passed my brain said that I would be in full shock that there would be no emotion. Like that's the only thing I could think. Like I, I think I would be so disconnected from emotion because that's how I deal with things. Right. Um, and it sounded like he was in and out of emotion, but I think I would be numb for a while. Uh, just like really, really not present for something as catastrophic as that. And then on top of all the other struggles, I mean, it's just, it's just a one in a million story and so incredible that he has turned his life around and is out there helping other people, particularly in the first responder world, because that is such a needed place. And the people who are going to reach those first responders are other first responders, not those of us going into that community and trying to help. So I love that he goes and speaks. And I loved him talking about going and just ask when, when he, I think he said, ask people, do they know what PTSD was or do they know what therapy? Remember there was a question. He went to a group that he was speaking, that he was asked to speak. And he asked a question to the audience that was something related to mental health and no one raised their hands. I wish I could. I, 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 do you know what I'm talking about? 
I think he asked if they knew what EMDR was. I th- yes, that's what it was. If they knew what EMDR was and one person raised their hand and he got pissed and shared about and 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 spoke on it and I just that is the per- that is oh that is so fantastic that that person that he is out there doing this and this beacon of light it is so needed in this community these people are seeing tremendously traumatic things every day they go from one call to another call and have to be able to put the last call away there's no time to process that let alone even if you wanted to and I think that that just having him have all those experiences and then also the sobriety factor and then he you know started a program which leads to helping more people you know not just one-on-one, but also the center that will help other first responders in, in Prescott, Arizona. And yeah, just really, wow. And I think the reason why, to clarify for listeners, in case you haven't heard the, the podcast yet, which please go listen because... Worth Brent, a listen. Oh my gosh. His breadth and wealth of knowledge and the way he recalls his stories is absolutely phenomenal. The reason why he was mad is because he, as Ashley said, he was addressing a room full, like a full of first responders. I think it was a conference and he was talking about first responders access to much needed mental health resources. And when, when he was talking about how PTSD is basically something that every first responder will have at some point. And and he said EMDR, which is the most proficient, like best therapy for PTSD, best non-invasive therapy for PTSD out there. Only one person raises their hand. And but knows they know what it. it was, yeah. But they know what it was in an entire room. That's why he got so angry because he's like, my God, we need to have access. These first responders need to have access and ready access to know what's going to help them and help them heal. Because as of right now, they're just out there flailing. And that's what I'm mad about. What he did was he schooled them, but then the next year they got their act together and other departments came you know, and 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 asked him for their recommend for recommendations on how they should be doing things and what they should be doing to help. So, you know, it was really it was an opportunity for change that his reaction facilitated. And how cool is that? And I, I, you know, and I just feel for him. I mean, these are the types of things. And I hear a lot of these stories um, through, you know, through my work and through the podcast and just these stories, you just can't really under, there's no way to really imagine or, 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 know how to support someone who's been through that. And I think that's one of the interesting things about being in mental health and and being, you know, a professional supporter <laughs> and and someone who works through things with people is there's some you come across these things that happen to people. And I remember in season one, I did an interview. There were two interviews that stick out. Um one was a woman who she like got hung by <laughs> meat hooks on her, you know, like her ankles. Do you remember that woman? Char, uh, yeah, Charisse, yeah. Charisse, Charisse Thompson. Yeah, Thompson. They, they were trying to drill through her ankles to hang her by meat hooks, but they couldn't drill through her ankles. Yeah. They yeah. were successful. Like, and like, what? That, yeah. I was like, oh my God. And then the other one was um, the the sex trafficking one. And you just, there's like, there's, there's these... That's Amy Peterson. She that was episode eleven. Sharice Thompson was episode ten, and Amy Peterson was sex trafficked as a child by her uncle. So she was like brought at like age seven, dropped off at old carnivals, and men would take her and 
renter for the, you hear these stories and it's so, I mean, on some, on some level, people are probably just horrified and don't want to hear those stories, which I do understand. But to me, the, the part that's just incredible is how, how does one, how does one move from that to living a functional, meaningful, passionate, happy life? And so many of us are somewhere in, you know, in the middle, right? Somewhere between yay, happy, normal functioning, and some of the crazy stories you hear on here. Most of us are in the middle. And I think the cool thing is to hear these stories and hear how people overcome these incredible things and know that I fall somewhere in the middle. And if that guy can do it, (laughs) if that guy can do it, man, I sure can too. And if his, if his, you know, tactics or coping skills were helpful. Maybe they can help mine. And those are the types of things that I get out of um, these stories and just really, you know, I think sometimes you see those people who uh, are, you know, lose both their legs when young, right? Or, you know, and they, they they get new prosthetic legs and they start, you know, climbing mountains and they, you know, (laughs) they do incredible things athletically that, normal people with legs, most of us would be incapable of doing. And I think there's something that happens when you go through these extraordinary experiences and you get this option, right? You get this option to give up, you know, and giving up can look different, you know, giving up can deciding that living, you know, a kind of unhappy life is okay. Giving up doesn't have to be dramatic. It doesn't have to be suicide. Or you can decide, no, fuck that. I'm going to overcome this and I'm going to fail a hundred times and get up a hundred and one. And, and I, these are the stories that just drive, you know, that, that drive me and inspire me personally. And it seems like, you know, you asked the question, how can somebody move on from that? You know, and I, I definitely count myself as somebody who's in the middle of not experienced anything close to what Brendan has experienced by any means. When looking and examining the stories, when looking at and examining the stories, it seems like the common denominator is, you know, obviously not only therapy, but each one of the people that you mentioned, Sharice, Amy, and Brendan, each have a component of giving back that's really helped them heal. Sharice uh, now mentors young women and works as an advocate for people who've been sexually assaulted. Amy chronicles and charts her therapy story. So it's very ongoing. She has a lot of layers she's working through still yeah. on oh, yeah. Instagram. And yeah, she's, super cool. it's amazing. She's very vocal about it and very raw. Well, and she shows, if you have a chance, check that out because something that's cool, you know, we talk a lot about therapy, but a lot of times like, well, what do you do in therapy? They're just going to ask me how I feel. Like, that's stupid. (laughs) Um, That's a solid question. Yeah. It's like, cool. I'm not going to pay for that. But she, what I thought was really cool originally, I think this is originally how I found her. She writes about what she's doing in therapy. Like she says, the therapist asked this, I said this, the therapist asked this. And then she, so she shares that. And then she also shares what assignments. So she has writing assignments and she shares the writing assignments and she shares what's going to, it's really fascinating because when I, when I saw her doing it, I was like, yeah, nobody sees that. So when we're talking about therapy, it's like, yeah, just take my word for it. It's a good idea. Whereas, and this kind of gives a, um, you know, a glimmer, a, gl- a glimmer, yeah. a, uh, glimpse. a glimpse, thank you, a glimpse into what 
certain types of therapy or, you know, with, with that particular therapist would look like? Yeah. It's uh, her Instagram is, if it's still up, I haven't looked at it recently, but it was uh, CPTSD Chronicles. So, okay. C, so C as can in chronic. You have this information in front of you? I mean, I can put it in the show notes. Do you want me to see? If no, it's no, still no, up? no, no, no. I mean, like, do you remember that off the top of your head? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. You have to remember, I'm entering. <laughs> I'm entering all the episodes. That was a year ago. And you remember <laughs> that that is insane. And you're pregnant. I, I got a time hop yesterday. <laughs> did, did I send it to you? No. I got a. I got a time hop that that was from when I was pregnant uh, four plus years ago. And it was like, oh, God, it was so funny. Wait, hold on. I think I have it. And it basically, oh, okay. You know you have a really serious case of pregnancy brain when you keep trying to make a phone call from your calculator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's so good. Okay. So that's... <laughs> That's so the fact that you're mem- remembering these episodes, <laughs> let alone everything else. I mean, I was trying to make phone calls on my freaking calculator, okay? <laughs> okay, not that I haven't had my bouts of strangeness because oh. I definitely, Bella, who you guys know, Bella Baskin, episode 14, she <laughs> works for us. I know, I know. Sorry. I can't remember every episode now. I've, mm-hmm. I've gotten to the point where I can't remember every episode, but mm-hmm. I can remember a lot of them. But I had to call her because she works with with me on all marketing stuff. And I I had call her when, when I told her I was pregnant. It was a little bit earlier on, not as early as Ashley. Ashley found out when I was five weeks. She guessed it. We were on a photo shoot. That's the photo that's on this episode cover artwork. She literally uh, guessed the it. Bump. Yep. The bump. Oh my that gosh. Was so it, funny. That was that so was weird. a cool story. We'll have to tell that story in a second. But I had to call Bella and I was like, hey, I need news. I need to tell you this. There's a reason why. And so I tell her I'm pregnant. She starts bawling. She's like, I'm so happy. And I was like, okay, I need you to help me remember things. <laughs> like, just in case. So she texts me literally every week now. And she's like, she's still doing it. Like, hey, FYI, this is due. Just a reminder. Send me this photo. So I've had help. But I think the reason no, why I remember- I'm watching, this is raw memory. <laughs> I don't, none of, I'm not buying whatever you're selling. You can put that shit away because I'm not buying it. You, I'm watching you recall. I'm like, is she looking at something? No, you're, you're recalling from memory, pregnant, these details. I mean, seriously, I, the amount of embarrassing things that I have done. Not pregnant, but also pregnant. My memory, not pregnant, was a special form of dementia. It was pregnancy dementia. Oh, my God. Well, I think all the years, you know, I studied musical theater for so long. So I think all the years learning to memorize scripts and, you know, you get that yep. photographic yep. memory and yep. the re- like you work on your recall so much and, and especially doing musicals because you have to recall choreography, you have to recall songs and blocking and your lines and you know, moving with props and, and your costume and, and your cues and stuff. So I, I honestly, I think that that really helped my memory. From my, age. my Mastiff and I have about the same amount of recall. <laughs> 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 we're about, we're about even. <laughs> He's nine. <laughs> Is he really nine? He's amazing. He's the m- most well-behaved person in my household. Oh, he's uh, Kings is phenomenal. He's Kingsley, but he's 
king. Oh, he's so king. amazing. We my, should my we 106, 160 pound baby. Oh, he is a big baby. My husband won't enter your house because he's, you know, terrified of him. No, no, he entered your house with whenever we evacuated from the fires. <laughs> but he's like, is the dog behind <laughs> Cujo? Is Cujo there? <laughs> I know. He'll still bite your face off if he, if you're an intruder, but. But whenever he recognizes somebody, oh, his little face just his. What about his tiny little melts. nub? His oh, his little, little nub when he sees you. Tail. Oh, yeah, his tiny best. little nub for a tail. Oh, he's which, the which I dog. didn't do, by the way. Just so everybody knows, just putting it out there. Yeah, no cruelty to animals. Any, yeah, anyone from PETA who's on this podcast, I did not do that. No tail cropping. Okay, so. Speaking of memory. (laughs) I can't tell you where we left off. Uh, Well, Um, we're just going to shift gears unless you have anything else you want to add to that. Um, I don't accept. I I guess. Want to just re-say, listen to that episode. It's phenomenal. I was just going to say that Brendan McDonough, he was the sole survivor um, from the Granite Mountain Hotshots, which was, there was a nasty fire in Yarnell and it killed 19 of 20 firefighters. And he was the lone survivor. They did a movie about it called Only the Brave. And uh, Josh Brolin, Jennifer Connelly, Miles Teller, really incredible movie, hard to watch, obviously. And and his story is, you know, is just incredible. So anyway, if you uh, have not checked that out i highly encourage check it check check it link it in the show notes for you link it up okay so episode 83 episode 83 was christina kimbrough Mm -hmm. oh i really liked her i know she was really sweet and fun we were so excited to have somebody on who got sober during the pandemic during the pandemic i mean sobriety date 2020 oh my gosh like that blew my mind. It I feel like it would, it, 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 she and I talked about this. I feel like it could either be like a really good thing. 2020 could be a really good thing for someone who's an alcohol, uh, an active alcoholic or a really bad thing. In in my head, I always went to a really bad thing because I know I love to drink alone in a sad state of affairs with no lights in a closet and probably a lot of toilet paper and whatever. I, I would make a good like 2020 alcoholic. So that's what I was thinking when you'd have like all these vodka bottles as your oh, yeah. friends. You'd be oh, yeah. talking to them like they'd be yeah. your, like your version like, of Wilson the like, Get six feet away from me. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be setting them up. You'd be pulling yeah. with the vodka bottles. You'd be, <laughs> you know, a hundred percent. What I would be telling people is that I am sanitizing from the inside out. That's actually very clever. <laughs> there is no coronavirus coming in my body because it is all. <laughs> being sanitized with alcohol (laughs) pure the purer the better baby oh my god uh yeah so that's probably what i would be doing meanwhile christina who's clearly in a much better place uh she (laughs) she she got sober uh she got sober this year and really just an awesome story about using the opportunity right and using these you know, turning something, you know, uh, lemons to lemonade kind of deal and, um, and being able to get sober. I can't remember how long she had when we interviewed, um, but I'm sure you remember January, 2020 was whenever she, so she finished IOP 
Uh, oh, week, January 2020, she hit her bottom. She hit her bottom, right. And then she entered IOP, I think it was a few weeks later or like a yeah. month later. She yes. she finished, she actually finished IOP the week of lockdown. So what was that? That was second mm-hmm. week of March? Something, yeah. Yeah, so whatever, it doesn't matter. She's she's almost, she's moved, closing in on, on a year sober. And yeah, she talked about how it was helpful that the bars were closed, didn't even think of that because I don't drink at bars. Shit's expensive. Um, <laughs> but a lot of drinker. Yeah, I really, I really am. And uh, she, yeah, I think it was just like a really classic case of alcoholism, like a really, you know, um, classic, like drinking too much, blacking out, you know, drinking until 7 a.m., wandering around the neighborhood. Drinking. That one was so funny. I was like... She and I would have been best friends. That knocking on people's doors mm-hmm. like, are you up? <laughs> okay. I, that was the most... I really... I don't know how many questions I asked about that, but I I had a lot. Like, so you... What time? It was like three in the morning. She's in her bathrobe too. Oh my God. And I love it. They just welcomed her in like. Just went right in. Oh my God. What an amazing. I just, what I wouldn't give to be a fly on that wall. Um, Everybody's just like, yeah, come on in. Yeah. And, and, and then working in politics and, and, um, and the Adderall, she, um, her husband is in the Navy and sounds, she had to leave him for a period of time to get well, which I, I, and he's, um, a month behind her, uh, so on sobriety date, that was very, and that was an important piece of the puzzle. Sometimes you have to get some separation if your drinking buddy is your spouse, that does happen. And that doesn't mean that things can't work out. And that doesn't mean that it'll never work or whatever. They're going to, I don't know, insert whatever fears you have. But sometimes that space is needed for both people to get well because you remind each other or you trigger each other in those early days when it's really hard. And if one person goes rogue, the other person is going to fall with them. So I, I that, was, that was a great tidbit there for people who are trying to get sober with their spouse or quit smoking or all the other things. That is hard. And sometimes it's, you can take that that space if possible. And, and it doesn't have to mean that you'll never be together again. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think a lot of couples, I think, you know, the thing is when you get married, you're marrying the person that you know, right? I mean, there's many, many of us are, you know, marrying potential, right? But you're also marrying the person that you know. And so when you marry someone, when you're an alcoholic and you're, you know, your spouse married the alcoholic, right? And not the progression of it, but they did marry the alcoholic. So there was something about that setup, that relationship that worked for them that they were willing to make that commitment. And so when one person gets sober, when they got married uh, under different circumstances, uh, pretenses, there can be discomfort in that because the roles change, the rules change. And we do see a lot of relationships have a tough time coming back from that. It's not impossible. I know lots of people who have been able to do it. Um, Even people who got, you know, sober, relapse, got sober to get, you know, all sorts of different circumstances, but it does challenge the relationship and, and you, it will highlight what that other person was getting out of your dysfunction. And that sounds weird because they're probably also nagging you to stop, but a lot of the time when the alcohol goes away, it, you know, it's like the water <laughs> receding, right? It's going to pull back all those other things. And 
that's something to be prepared for. And it's it's particularly difficult to see and deal with those things when you're early in sobriety, which is when they show up. That absolutely makes sense. And I think another component of the story that I really liked was, you know, that Christina, I mean, when lockdown happened and all that, that was a lot of stress as, as we've talked about in the podcast. I loved how she talked about all the, all the resources she used in order to work her recovery instead of being like, oh no, this isn't available. Yeah, yeah. She was actually excited about what was available to her. And this podcast was one of the things she found to help her through that time. And I I just was blown away by that because she found this, she found a lot of different courses and classes and online meetings and just went full bore into it mm-hmm. and, and talked about how she how she dove into that and found it too. She also got sober doing IOP. She did not go to inpatient. She was able to get sober from just IOP, which is something that, you know, not a lot of people talk about. Like you can get sober outpatient. Not every, you know, I wasn't capable of doing that, but a lot of people are. And I see a lot of success with it. So that's something to note about her recovery as well. So one of the other things Christina does, so Christina, you you can actually follow her on Instagram. Her Instagram is ckimbro one the number one. And so it's her first initial last name, the number one. And she's documenting her sobriety journey and she's um, very open about it and really loves sharing about it. It's actually part of her working her sobriety. One of the things she talks about, and I thought this was prevalent because, you know, unfortunately we've seen from, from this year, one of the negative effects of the pandemic has been that suicides are on the rise. And one of the things that she is very open about is her, she struggles with panic, a panic disorder is what she was actually diagnosed with. So she'll go into panic attacks, she struggles with ongoing anxiety. And then that kind of dovetails into suicidal ideations, not always, but she, she's very candid about when it does and how and how she's, she's working it in her recovery and, and overcoming that. So I guess I'd love for you to explain a little bit more to listeners because if if I know there are a lot of people who've struggled with suicide, I've I've actually been one of them when I was younger. But in regards to recovery and people working their recovery, or even if you've struggled with it when you were using substances and then now, you know, you're sober, kind of dealing with that, I'd love more or any insight that you have on how and why even anxiety can produce can kind of go into those suicidal ideations. And then if you have any tools or recommendations on where to go, if people are struggling with that. Yeah. So first of all, you know, I think it's important to say that there are a lot of people, I have met many, 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 many people who have had suicidal ideation at some level. They've thought about what it would be like for them to no longer be on the planet. And then, you know, anywhere from, just that, you know, I wonder what the world would be like to coming up with a plan. And the place where, so the suicidal ideation, um, at the place where as, as you know, people who work in the mental health field where we get very, very concerned is when there's a plan being made, a plan in place. So that's something that we will uh, ask someone if we are very concerned, do you have a plan to kill yourself? The reason we ask that is because it is not uncommon for us to have life situations that cause us to have feelings of worthlessness, shame, just depression, just absolute anxiety, all of these things. When you are so overwhelmed with those feelings constantly, 
the idea of the pain just stopping is that, that that seems like relief, right? That seems like paradise. And when you're in those places, a lot of the time, and my experience is that you can't think of anything else that'll solve the problem. That's why you have the suicidal ideation, right? It's like my life, these, you know, typically you have, you know, situations that are so complicated or uh, court cases or, you know, money or jobless or whatever, you've hurt someone. And, and it's like the combination of all of those things plus how you feel about yourself, plus, you know, all, I just, I mean, you just feel so overwhelmed that the easiest solution you can think of is to remove you from being able to feel because you can't come up with any answers or any relief. And a lot of the time, the suicidal ideation will often happen as the disease progresses because the the substances aren't working as well anymore. So my experience, I, I, I'm i laughing because I remember just the insanity of, you know, with heroin, this is something that, I, or with opiates rather, this is something that I didn't know before using opiates, which gives you a little idea of how, <laughs> how careful I was, that you, at a certain point, you only get sick and well, right? So you get normal. So like I am right now. So I would do a, 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 a I would, you know, do a shot of heroin and I would get to baseline. And so sick and baseline, right? I didn't know that that's where it got to. And so what happened for me was that when it got there, the reason I had started actively using this drug was because it blotted out the horrible shame and self-esteem and and despair, depression, anxiety, all those things, right? It helped those things because it made you go to sleep. (laughs) Really simple, like goodbye, see you later. When that stopped happening and now you're addicted to opiates and you still feel all the pain and shame, you know you are up shit creek without a paddle. And those are the situations where you start to go, oh my God, how can I get myself out of this? And you can't remember, you know, and this is the same with the anxiety. You can't recall all of the people who want to help you or the resources or creative ways to get help. That's not where your head is. It is not, you know, you're trying to um, fix your broken brain with your broken brain, right? You're, you're relying on the brain that is telling you to do all these destructive things to also help you out of doing these destructive things. Think about that. To make a decision that is intelligent or thoughtful or whatever you want to call it about getting out of this situation that your brain has also helped you get to. So, That's where the suicidal ideation often comes in, right? It's like, I dug myself a pit and I cannot get out of it. But my my sponsor's husband, he has all these funny sayings. He calls, you know, the voice in our head, K-fuck radio. And... uh, and, and he says, uh, he's, he's, I, you know, I, 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 this is such a funny, he says, it doesn't matter how the donkey got in the ditch, just get the donkey out. Like, th- and, and for so many years, I just thought that was the strangest, like, boomer thing to say. And uh, I totally get it now. It's like, don't worry about why you're, all of those things are happening. Don't rehearse, you know, uh, rehearse the, the stories and just go get the help. Just go, just turn and go get the help. Just stop what you're doing and go ask someone. You're not going to fix your broken brain with your broken brain. You're not going to use the same, you know, psyche that is telling you to do these things to come up with some incredibly logical response. 
the response is, I should die. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. if you, it, it, and, and given that you've been killing yourself on the installment plan, it makes perfect sense that you'd get to the end of that and go, well, shit, this isn't working. I should just end it. And, and the step between that and, okay, this person is, re- is really serious about it is usually a plan. And that, that's, t- you know, typically where as, as clinicians, you, you make that differentiation. However, if you have someone who is constantly having suicidal ideation and then one day decides to do it, right? So it's not like, oh, they don't have a plan. They're not at risk. But if they have a plan, those people tend to be the highest risk. And then you start moving from there. And tools you asked me about, you know, they're the same tools. They are going, if you are thinking about ending your life, go find people who have thought about ending their life and ask them what they've done. Go to people who, uh, you know, if the things, if you're struggling with divorce and bankruptcy and uh, adoption and uh, sobriety, go find people who've been through those things. And with, with Facebook and the internet and all these resources now, you can find those people. If you want what those people have, do what those people did. And they will tell you, people who are in recovery and recovering from these situations, they will tell you what they've done. They will tell you how they got there. And that is my my always my biggest thing. Stop what you're doing and find someone and ask them for help because that's the easiest, most basic thing to do. Tell someone what's going on because if you keep it in your head, that is the most dangerous neighborhood you can be in. That's so good. And we'll put some resources um, in the show notes as well. We always, when we talk about this topic, then we'll, you know, we always put in the suicide hotline um, resources from there online as well. Yeah, there's a, I have something here. I'll just read these really quickly. This is from Very Well Mind, Mental Health A to Z. Emotional and behavioral changes. Emotionally, the suicidal person may be feeling overwhelming pain, hopelessness, powerlessness, worthlessness, shame, guilt, or self-hatred, fear of losing control and harming themselves or others. Behaviorally, the person may appear sad, withdrawn, tired, apathetic, anxious, irritable, or prone to angry outbursts, not be performing well in school, work, or other activities, become socially isolated or fall in with the wrong crowd, have declining interest in sex, friends, or activities previously enjoyed, neglect personal welfare or let their appearance go, or experience a change in eating or sleeping habits. So that that's the, I mean, that also perfectly describes someone using, but... <laughs> But, you know, again, again, uh, I think, um, you know, and if you're really, let me say this, if you're really concerned about somebody and you think that they might be at risk, but they're not going to talk to anyone, you need to talk to someone and ask them what to do. You need to ask for help on how to reach out to them because I don't want to give a blanket advice on how to deal with all suicidal people that, you know, it's not always the same. So um, I think a teenager during the pandemic is going to be different than someone who's strung out on drugs and is an adult with a life, you know, a, an adult life. So same thing goes, you know, you can still, and I, if you're worried about someone else committing suicide, you can also still call the suicide hotline. So that's just, that hotline is not just for people who want to harm themselves. It's also for people who don't know what to do with someone who wants to harm themselves. Right. That's so good. I love that you made that point. And and definitely if you're concerned about somebody, better better to call than not. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Better better for them to be angry at you. 
Absolutely. I can remember uh, when I was in the deepest, darkest part of that, you know, that time of my life, I was actually at a point where I, I didn't know how to dig myself out. And so I was like wishing someone would. Like I would have been pissed, you know, but I actually, my best friend at the time came and I'd been in bed for two weeks and just wasn't doing anything. And she came and peeled me out, like actually picked me up and was like, you are getting up. You're coming with me. We're going groceries. Like, and I was so mad at her. I was so, I was like, no, I'm not. I was pushing her away. And she's like, you are. And she got her boyfriend to get me out of bed. And it just somehow her forcing me to live life. And I was again, very, very angry at her, but somehow her forcing me to live life got me it just got me mentally going again. And if it weren't for her, I, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened, but I'm so grateful to her for that. Yeah, those friends are amazing. I had a friend, uh, Shauna, when when my husband and I, my then boyfriend, uh, we broke up for a period of time. And and during that time, I was like so depressed when, in one of the craziest depressions. And she would come over and she, I remember the first time she came over, she didn't even know me that well. And she came over, um, but she, you know, recovery and we were at UCLA together and she came over and the first thing she did was clean out my fridge because I hadn't eaten anything. And so like the, everything in the fridge was rotten. And then she would pull me out and, and we would pull me out of bed and take me on a run and I'd smoke. <laughs> smoke while running around the Brentwood Country Club and <laughs> and uh, and like you know and we trained for these races but I was still it was it was classic like young recovery shit and but just having those friends you know maybe if you know a friend that's really struggling you might be that person for them just going to their house and being like get out of bed let's go we're going on a walk and they're going to fight you tooth and nail but I can tell you being on the other side of that as you described you know that is on those days when you just cannot get yourself out of bed or in that deep depression, sometimes you need that person to just come sit with you or come get you out of bed. I mean, that was, she was like, we're going to exercise. <laughs> like, I'll do so with my cigarettes. Uh-huh, exactly. I was like, well, fine, but I'm not quitting smoking. <laughs> She's like, okay, as long yeah. as you're running. <laughs> oh my God, we did so many 5Ks that summer. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> we did. I have all these. Yeah, I have all these five Ks, and we did. It, it was actually. It turned out to be. Obviously, my husband and I got back together. Um, and it turned out to be a, a fun summer. But I just very, you know, remember as you were saying that those people who showed up and were like, "Get out of bed. We're going." Yeah, those are priceless people. Mm-hmm. Shout out to my friend Stephanie to send that to her. She's amazing. She's been that so many times in my life. I'm very thankful for her. So don't be afraid to be that for somebody. Yeah. Agreed. Because you never know. You really never know. You could end up getting a shout out on a podcast. You could. <laughs> you too could end up getting a shout out on a podcast. I love Dreams it. are possible. <laughs> Dreams are made true. Jesus Christ. <laughs> One day, one day we're going to have a podcast soundtrack. Just wait. It's going to happen. I don't know when, but we got to bring Bayon back and do the Foam Shack. That's a throwback from season one. I was going to, uh, I was going to break someone's stereo. Jeez. Oh my gosh. Well, we so appreciate all of our listeners. Thank you guys. Just a quick reminder to rate us, review us. This is how our podcast grows and reaches people. Um, send us an email if you have any questions. If you'd like to... Oh, our email is podcast at lionrock.life. Yes. 
just.life, lionrock.life. And if you would like to fill out a podcast guest application, it is linked at the bottom of every show notes piece now. We are now taking applications for season three because we are full for season two. I can't even believe that. That is crazy. That's crazy. When are we... uh, Maybe this is a little... uh, you know, teaser, but we're, we're talking about taking a break in January. Yeah. Correct. So yeah, yeah, so we'll have, we don't have the exact dates worked out. We actually need to do that this week. Post-holiday stuff. Uh, but we'll be taking a break at some point in January. We'll, we'll keep some podcasts going through new episodes through probably mid-January. Um, and then we'll probably be taking a break towards the end of January. We're going to take a month off. Just, I know a month sounds like so much, but we have a lot of preparation to do for season three. All you guys can get caught up on your episodes. Get caught up. Yep. Yeah. I want to hear about you getting caught up and uh, make sure to please subscribe and rate us. That helps us a lot. So if you listen and want to support us, please, please, please share this episode, share an episode. Uh, Sharing is caring. You never, you never know who you can help by sharing an episode. It's so true. true. Well, and uh, a great place to follow us is uh, Courage to Change underscore podcast on Instagram. Yep. You get all your latest news, podcast Latest news. news. And someday I'm going to learn how to use reel and then I'm going to do a reel. Oh, yeah. We, we're going to start doing those. I know. We, I'm we sure it's going to be terrible, but you know what? Talking with Bella. It's going to yeah. be great. It'll be entertaining. And that's the point. Well, see, we live close together. There's no reason that we can't do a socially distanced reel. <laughs> I think I think the bloopers are going to be the best part. <laughs> they always are. Yep. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Well, you guys, I hope that everyone had a fantastic Thanksgiving holiday. If you did not, we are sending you a big hug. And if you did, we're also sending you a big hug. And the holiday season is upon us. Please stay safe. Uh, stay connected to your community. If you need anything, if you need resources, lionrock.life has meetings every single day of the week free. online for free where you can get connected. New meetings are literally being added weekly. I know because I manage the website. <laughs> so they uh, The support group meetings, they have 12-step, but they also have um, something called community, which is su- a support group for people in all types of recovery. So if you are looking for support, but you don't f- think you fit the perfect mold of what a 12-step program would be, or you just want to check it out, check out community on lionrock.life. So there's lots of different support groups for everyone. Uh, There's also Al-Anon and Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. So uh, also really great programs if you are a family member and you are struggling all for fun and for free, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like I said, amazing. We have uh, workshops. Lots, yep. Workshops, lots of attendees. We even now have things that are like coffee talks Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. Yep. Pacific. Oh, that's what I wanted to say. Okay. Sorry. Oh, go for it. Okay. So this is important. Listen up. I'm going to talk a lot about it. Lion share coffee, lion share organic coffee, a hundred percent of the profits fund recovery. They go to scholarship people for substance abuse treatment who cannot afford it. Lion Share Organic Coffee. The coffee has the roasted date on it. It is, we partnered with Common Room Roasters. They're a very fancy coffee shop. And this stuff is next level great. Furthermore, you are helping pay for someone to get treatment who cannot afford it. So 
Not only are you getting your caffeine shot, you are giving back. So we have um, subscription prices and then one-time purchase prices. We also have different roasts. So if you're really into your coffee, you can check out the different flavors. Again, I'm going to say it, Lion's Share Organic Coffee, 100% of the profits fund recovery, substance abuse treatment for people who cannot afford it. So give the gift of recovery, my friends, the holiday season, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever it is, you guys, uh, this is a great gift and it's the gift that keeps on giving. So go to lionrock.life backslash shop dash products. So if you just go to lionrock.life, you'll find the coffee, but um, go to lionrock.life shop. And that is where you can find Lion Share Organic Coffee. Please help us help others. And let me tell you guys, this is amazing coffee. I mean, I, I'm I'm saying this as a consumer. We got to taste test it, and I'm a huge coffee snob. I literally get coffee from Montana because I that's the only stuff I've found that I really truly like. And this is the best by far I've ever had. So not only is it helping others, but it's helping your tummy. <laughs> Common Room Roasters is amazing, and we're coming out with a tea that's going to be uh, no caffeine for people who are interested in tea and want drinks that aren't caffeinated, but also helped to fund recovery. Yep. Whoop, whoop. All right. We'll see you later or we'll hear you later. We'll see you later. May the Yay. peace, may the force, force be with you, whatever. I stay, cl- stay clean. <laughs> stay, stay clean. Stay clean and COVID free, but stay also clean, clean and sober. Yep. And uh, we'll, we'll catch you on the flip side. Yep. Thanks everybody. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. LionRock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information, and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meeting schedule and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at LionRock.life.